fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. As a child, our guest today wanted to be an FBI agent, but he wound up becoming a criminal instead. Disillusioned with his freshman year of college, along with two of his childhood friends, they were determined to escape from their mundane Middle American experiences. The three hatched a plan to steal millions of dollars worth of artwork and rare manuscripts from a university museum. Sounds like something out of a Hollywood heist movie. Truth, as they say, is stranger than fiction. Thank you so much, Eric Borsuk, for being here today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Charlie. Well, Eric's new book is American Animals, a true crime memoir. Eric's new memoir is featured in the major motion picture of the same name. American Animals was written with a paper and pencil during the seven years that he was in prison. It includes socially relevant themes from dangerous male friendships to toxic masculinity and privilege while providing an artfully told and exciting account of someone who got in too deep. Eric is a reformed convict who has dedicated his career to prison reform, and he works with the Marshall Project here in California. He also serves on the board of directors of Die Jim Crow. That's the first nonprofit record label in the U.S. for currently and formerly incarcerated musicians. American Animals is Eric's first book. Check out his Twitter feed, and you spell his last name B-O-R-S-U-K, Eric Borsuk, and you can search for that on Twitter really easily. So tell us a bit about your childhood and what it was like growing up in Lexington in Kentucky. Yeah, you know, I had pretty much a uh, normal sort of uh, middle-class suburban upbringing in Lexington. Um, yeah, n- nothing, uh, nothing too exciting. I was born in upstate New York. Uh, my family moved around a lot when I was younger. We wound up in, uh, in Kentucky, of all places. We moved around the country quite a bit. Um, but, you know, I, I've had a really loving, supporting family throughout the years. Um, most of my time growing up was either in school or uh, on the soccer field, uh, in terms of ex- extracurricular activities, um, hanging out with friends, things like that. I had a, uh, older brother, younger sister. So I was the middle child, uh, you know, take whatever you want out of that. But, um, you know, for the most part, I had a pretty, uh, pretty normal middle-class, uh, suburban upbringing in Kentucky. Um, couldn't really complain too much. Um, you know, I would say if anything, it was more on the um, southern conservative side, and that was something I think. In time, I sort of pushed away from, rebelled from. I think you know, um, to a certain extent, it probably contributed a little bit to to what happened. Um, sort of grew up on that conveyor belt sort of lifestyle where you're meant to uh, you know have a specific path and, and a specific sort of uh, career and 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 you know lifestyle. So uh, definitely, you know, when I you know, came of age around 18, 19, started kind of pushing away from that. And um, I think in time that sort of led to, uh, led to, to what happened. Well, did you want to be a writer when you were a kid at all? It's funny, you know, I, I always was passionate about writing, um, but I just, I didn't really grow up in a place that really cultivated that sort of, uh, that, you know, that's that sort of craft. The, you know, the arts weren't really stressed so much in my Southern conservative upbringing. Um, but I always had this passion for it. It's funny. I remember, um, had this writing assignment growing up. I was probably like nine or 10 and uh, a teacher gave us a writing assignment to to write a short story. And I just went completely all out. It was supposed to be just like a couple of pages. I wrote this, you know, really long piece about like, uh, it was a fictional piece about the end of the world involving the four horsemen and the apocalypse. And I was in Catholic grade school. So 
it was really dark. I was in Catholic grade school. My my teacher was definitely like not too like uh, thrilled with like the ominous content, but she really just like uh, you know couldn't believe uh, that I had this writing ability. So she really encouraged me to take creative writing classes, and you know all my teachers thereafter did as well. But um, it just wasn't really something that was a thing where I was growing up, and so I just kind of put it on the back burner. Didn't really think much of it. I always knew that I. I loved writing. I loved literature, but um, was just always on the soccer field or hanging out with friends, you know, doing the typical sort of like suburban, you know, middle American sort of um, Southern things. Uh, and it wasn't really until I got to uh, to prison, honestly, spoiler alert, I guess, that I really, you know, really kind of just dove into it um, full force. Well, talk about your two childhood friends, Warren and Spencer, and the kinds of things that you did as kids. Were you were you getting into trouble then at an early age? Not so much at an early age. We met actually playing soccer, um, probably about 13 years old. They were friends before uh, before me, but um, you know, not too much longer. We all just hit it off right off the bat. Something about the two of them um, uh, combined with me. We all just really clicked, um, the three of us. They... Spencer was a gifted artist already and, you know, still is an amazing artist. Uh, Warren was a really well-read, you know, teenager with like political aspirations and, you know, something about them, they just seemed different. And we were able to kind of, I think, um, explore, you know, ideas that most kids our age weren't doing. And um, something about that just really appealed to me. And uh, we all just became fast friends after that and all through high school, all the way up to college. And, um, you know, probably a bit of that contributed to, to what happened, those ideas of, you know, um, pushing these sort of existential boundaries um, at a, a young age and trying to, you know, kind of see all that we could get out of, out of life and, uh, and our understanding of humanity and probably, probably to a certain extent led to uh, where we ended up. Well, you wrote your new memoir, The Old Fashioned Way, as I said, with paper and pencil. That's certainly commitment. So talk about what inspired you to want to then share your story and not just put that whole experience behind you. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I, I, I never really intended on publishing this book. Uh, really, it was, um, it was more just like a writing exercise that I could work on every day um, in prison, actually. Um, I, um, you know, I just wanted to have something, a project that I could work on daily so I could find my voice and just kind of find my way and, um, never really thought much about autobiographical writing and never really appealed much to me. I always wanted to be like a novelist or a investigative journalist or something like that. Just the, the kind of, you know, art form of like memoir just didn't really appeal to me. I don't think I'd really read much memoir that excited me. I think, um, most of the stuff that excited me was, you know, novels, fiction. Um, but the more I got into it, the more I really started, um, appreciating it. It was something that wasn't easy at first, just writing about myself didn't appeal to me. felt kind of, you know, vainglorious to a certain extent. Uh, but, um, but in time I really started to appreciate, um, you know, the story and the craft. And I knew that I had to really get this story out of me. It was such a such a part of my life at that point that um, I knew I couldn't really move on um, just with my life and also with writing projects really until I got this story out of me. And so, it, you know, it, it took a while to find the right tone and the right voice, but eventually I, I think I did. And, um, you know, I wrote that when I was 23 years old um, in federal prison, I'm 35 now. So this is certainly 
a story that's taken up, you know, over a decade of my life. Um, but I'm really happy just to finally have it out in the world and I can kind of move on now. It's not an easy thing to get published, even for someone who hasn't gone to prison. As a, as a newly published author, tell us about how you actually landed a book deal. Were you looking to get published before American Animals, the movie, was made? You know, I, I wasn't so much. I kind of put this book on the back burner. Honestly, I trashed a lot of it, too. Um, when I left prison, I just kind of, you know, was like, okay, well, that was a fun writing exercise, and it was, it was cool, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of threw some away. I kept some of it. Um, it wasn't until the director of the film said he, uh, I had let him read my manuscript and um, he just loved it. And, um, you know, I, I let him read what I had left of the manuscript still, you know, quite a bit still at that point. Um, and he loved it. He said, you know, can I use this title for the movie? You know, he loved the Darwinian sort of, uh, you know, evolutionary themes that I kind of built in there. And it wasn't until that point I was like, you know, maybe I do have something here that people are interested in and maybe I, you know, could get this published. And that's really when I started kind of taking it seriously. But up until that point, I hadn't really thought about it too much. Um, probably seems surprising, you know, because it's, it's, you know, such a big part of my life and probably seems like the obvious thing. But I think just writing about myself felt weird. I didn't really, you know, like the idea of, um, you know, putting that story out into the world. Like, as the thing that everyone knew me as, but, um, in time I really started to accept it and, and come to terms with it and, um, realized that I kind of, you know, I did have something sort of special here that people did want to hear about. Eric, talk about where you and your friends, Warren and Spencer were at in your lives before you actually decided to rob the library. Yeah, I think we, um, you know, we all grew up with this idea that we grew up in this sort of conservative, you know, bubble, the sort of Southern conservative suburban bubble. And we just kind of, I think around the age of 18 started really rejecting it. Um, just realizing that we didn't really know ourselves at all. We just had been raised to, to have these certain beliefs about who we were almost like as if they're personas, we didn't really have a true identity. And I think we started rejecting that, that idea. And we thought that college would be, the sort of salvation for us. Like once we got to college, everything would change, everything would be different. But when we got there, it was just more of the same, just on like a larger scale. And I think that was really a, a big blow to us. And, you know, not to say that that's the same for college everywhere, just our experience. That was certainly the way it was at a state college in Kentucky. And I think we all just started searching for, for escape and, you know, for whatever reason, crime just became our escape. And, uh, very disillusioned, you know, you know, naive, I would say at that point in our lives. And, mm -hmm. um, I think there's a certain time in the young, particularly young you know, men's lives where they can really do some damage when they're rejecting these, these, these sorts of ideals. And so that's where we were. And we just kind of reached for what was in front of us. And it was this idea of sort of crime rebellion and it just sort of kept snowballing and, you know, turning into something much bigger until finally, you know, Warren approached me one day and said, hey, you know, Spencer and I are thinking about robbing this museum and, uh, you know, do you want to be in? And I just, uh, you know, for whatever reason, just looking for some excitement, I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it. But, you know, at that, we never really took it seriously at first. It was sort of just like this fantasy that we could kind of have fun with. And it was like our escape, to, you know, never really thought that we'd actually go through with it. 
Um, but it just evolved over the course of like a year um, into something much bigger. Well, it's one thing to watch movies like Ocean's Eleven and, and fantasize about doing those kinds of heists. So how did you decide who did what? And, and how in the world were you going to sell what you sold? I mean, you're just like three suburban, you know, middle class <laughs> kids from Kentucky. Yeah, so when Warren approached me, we, we'd had a little bit of a falling out. We weren't speaking at the time, um, just something completely separate. And um, he approached me one day, and I thought, you know, this was going to be about, hey, you know, we should get our friendship back together. We need to put this thing behind us. And it was not about that at all. He said, you know, Spencer and I have been working on this um, this heist where we're going we're gonna to rob the museum at Transylvania University. And uh we want these John James Audubon pieces in particular. There's other stuff too, but the uh, the Audubon Birds of America are worth about $12 million. And he said that he had already been to Amsterdam and met with a black market art dealer who thought that he he had told the, the dealer that he had these pieces already. Mm. Um, the, the dealer didn't know that he was going to steal them. Um, but, you know, he said he had it all set up and ready to go, and he just needed my help. Um we all kind of had our own specialties. This was primarily their deal. So they had kind of, you know, cultivated these relationships early on. And they thought that for whatever reason, my planning on going into the FBI, like the way my mind worked, they thought that I would be good in terms of just like the strategic aspects of the, of the heist, uh, getting past, you know, security and things like that. And, you know, Spencer was the art guy. He was a, art major and art student. Um, and Warren was kind of like the, <laughs> the leader of the group, essentially running the whole operation. And we all just kind of had our own specific jobs and in time they just fell into place. Um, in the beginning, I was more of like a, a driver a getaway guy who helped just kind of plan the schematics of the operation. Um, and in time we all just kind of developed our own roles and it just got sort of bigger and bigger. It went from sort of like this, this joke into reality suddenly. Well, the heist at Transylvania University was certainly a defining moment in your life. So take us to that day and, and what you were feeling at the time. You've done all this year-long process of prepping for this. Was was there a moment when you thought you were in over your head? Definitely, definitely, yeah. I mean, like I said, we never thought we would go through with it. Even that day, you know, um, you, you, you just keep thinking that, well, something's going to stand in our way. Something's going to stop us from doing this. Surely we're not going to go through with this and surely it's not as easy as it seems. And every step of the way, it just kept doors kept opening and nothing would stand in our way, which just kept, you know, leading us us along further and further. And so, yeah, until all the way up until the day of the robbery, you know, a year after we'd really started talking about it. And, you know, my role at the time was, you know, I'd always said I can't be involved in any sort of like real, you know, like, violence or anything like that. Um, you know, in time we realized that all it really took was an appointment in the museum. And once you're in the museum, you're there with just this one curator librarian. And, um, yeah, I'd always told Warren, like, I, I can't be involved in any sort of like subduing anyone or anything like that. And he said, you know, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. All you have to do is show up and, uh, I'll call you, you show up, you help me carry the books out to the van and we're gone. And so the day of the robbery, I'm still thinking like, Oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. But I think me, I'd sort of justified the crime because I knew that I wouldn't have to be involved in anything really like, 
you know, too sinister or like violent or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I think that's how I justify it in my mind that, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just loading up some books and that's it, you know, but, um, you know, however ridiculous that might sound, but that's how I'd sort of justify it to myself. And so the day of the crime, I get the call. I'm waiting on Warren's call downstairs in the library. I get the call. He says, come on up to the museum. Everything's taken care of. Well, when I get up there, the curator librarian opens the door for me to the museum. And I'm just like standing there in shock. I can't believe what's happening. This isn't what we planned. You know, I'm thinking abort mission, just run away. <laughs> what, what do I do now? Mm. Um, but, you know, she leads me in the museum. I don't know if we're just going on a tour now or what's going on. I don't know if, if, if we're even still going through with it. Um, so I'm kind of in panic mode. I'm like, just like uh, frozen. And um, at one point I just see Warren kind of give me this look and I say, oh God, it's, it's getting ready to happen now. And I just realized that now suddenly I'm involved. I mean, I was always involved, but now I'm in much deeper than I ever had anticipated. It's and very so real. It, it got very real suddenly. And I just felt my life just suddenly, I've never had a, such a surreal moment like that, where I just literally felt my life switching tracks like a train. Um, and I just knew that there was no turning back. Well, how much did drugs play a role in you and your friends deciding to, to commit this crime and others that actually followed after that? Yeah, we were certainly living this, you know, kind of crazy um, drug-fueled college lifestyle. But, you know, I think, you know, that's definitely been played up over the years. I don't want to, you know, give it more, um, you know, credence than it deserves. I think really we were just very lost and disillusioned and searching for escape and excitement. I think um, I think we were all just kind of done with these, these lives that we had we've been living and growing up with and we were searching for a way out and, um, you know, obviously searching for escape in all the wrong places. Um, but, um, there's definitely, definitely quite a bit of drug use for sure. I just don't want to blame it on the drugs. You know, we definitely, I think knew what we were doing and, um, and we knew the consequences for sure. Well, we certainly uh, do lots of things in our lives that we look back and we have, you know, sort of our hindsight. So as you were writing this memoir, what would you say was the, one of the most difficult things for you to have to recall and, and, and commit to paper? Yeah, I think for me, um, the heist scene was by far the, um, the most difficult thing for me to write about. Um, yeah, I think just being there when that happened, it was so shocking. And I think over time, um, my memory had sort of blocked out some of the more traumatic elements. So having to go back and and write about the heist scene, the robbery, I think for me was something that was, um, was particularly difficult. You know, I was in prison at that point and um, I just found that I was almost um, still too close to the crime. I think at times you have to get away from a story almost to a vantage point where you can look in on it and, and write about it properly. So I, I definitely had trouble with that. It, it's something I had to rewrite quite a few times over the years. Um, eventually, it just kind of all came back to me and made sense. It just took a, it took a little while for sure. Um, but by far, the heist scene, um, the robbery, the actual robbery scene was the most difficult for me. And any of the scenes where I really, you know, started to reflect on the people I had hurt in my life. You know, there are a lot of scenes where I talk about my mother and my family um, those are things that were definitely difficult when you're finally in prison, looking back on the things you've done and the people you've hurt. Um, it all becomes very 
very clear and poignant. And, um, you know, much of this was, um, cathartic for me, I'm sure. Um, but, um, but definitely those, those, those moments were the hardest things to write about. Eric Borsuk is our guest today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. The new memoir is American Animals. Check out his Twitter feed. It's just Eric Borsuk. Check it out. B-O-R-S-U-K is his last name. Thank you so much for being here today on Conversations. Charlie, thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. 